0: We're building to where we believe the market is going, and that's to create an ecosystem where we're giving, I don't want to say we're creating our own walled garden, but we're really creating this network effect. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infutor Data Solutions Podcast, Identity Revolution. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media Vertical here at Infutor. and very, very excited to have our guest today, Matt Barish, who is a little bit of an AdTech celebrity. So let me run through this really quick. 20-plus year vet in the space. Discovery, ESPN, Nielsen, Condé Nast, 24-7 Real Media, MySpace, Forbes, Session M, Ad Colony, and now, Zeotap. He is the SUP Global Publishing and Platform Partnerships at Zeotap. So very excited to have him joining us here today on the podcast. Matt, thanks for joining
0: Thanks so much for having me. When you walk me down memory lane like that, I feel like I'm either 112 years old or I can't hold down a job. But (laughs) either way, it's been a great run. and It's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks so much.
1: Absolutely. All right. So to kind of jump right in, I guess to get us started, can you give the audience maybe a little bit more detail on that background?
0: (laughs) Connect Uh, the dots a little bit.
1: how How you worked your way through all those different companies and And then also, ultimately, kind of how you landed at Zeotap and what you're working on now.
0: Yeah, happy to. I'm in my early, mid-40s. And so when you look at this moment in time that we're in today, it's weirdly reminiscent of the late 90s to many. And so as a kid growing up here in New York, I went off to the University of Wisconsin. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a lawyer. And they had careers. And I knew I didn't want to follow in either footsteps. And so I discovered this thing called the internet. My first week in college when i could actually plug a modem into the wall and boom like yahoo popped up and the world was like my head was knocked off my shoulders with all of this like information that was sitting at my fingertips and so there was this natural fascination with the web but the internet as we know it wasn't a business then it was more of a concept and so i went back to hey where do i want to go what do i want to be I've submitted for a couple of unpaid internships at big media companies, and lo and behold, my resume got pulled off a pile at NBC by a woman named Linda Iaccarino 25 years ago, and she's done some things between 1996, 1997, and in 2021. But she hired me as we both kind of look back and suggest I was a bratty kid, and she let me move into her office and watch how an upfront got sold and it was amazing to me it was mesmerizing and media became my focal point my passion my desire and what i wanted to do with my life and so i followed her for a couple summers she gave me awesome access and taught me that having a great mentor means a lot and having a manager who invests in you means a lot and i went off and Lo and behold, instead of following her and taking a job offer and going to work at Turner with her, I had to go with the Discovery Channel. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Discovery Channel because that .com boom was blossoming at that point. I talked to a ton of companies that today are punchlines or somewhere buried in Wikipedia pages. is like folklore, but have no market cap, no value, and are perhaps buried in, in things called search engines that don't exist anymore. And so long story short, I think initially I wanted to broadcast with an interest in understanding how, quote, emerging media was going to become part of their plan. And so I went to work at Discovery. I then went and had My dream job at ESPN ABC Sports for almost 4 years and looking at the portfolio of properties that they owned and thinking about how to integrate and do bigger business with marketers and taking this thing called digital and making it part of a broadcast world. And so from there, went on, worked at some great companies, worked at Condé, worked at Nielsen, worked for the business ventures arm at Smithsonian, and then hit this inflection point. Where I was like, okay, you've hit this fork in the road. And which way do you want to go? Are you all in on digital? And that was when I landed at 24-7 Real Media. Part of the appeal in 2005 was the fact that the company had 3 core business units. It had a media network. It had an ad server that competed with DoubleClick. And there was a boutique search firm. And so if I was all in on digital, what better place to get maximum exposure and be able to build some relationships? And so from there, a relationship with a company called MySpace started to emerge. Those guys started to think about building a basically a third-party network business. And it was really the dawn of programmatic. And so I went to go work at News Corp and Fox and helped launch the Fox Audience Network, which is the original fan, had a legendary dream team of colleagues there where we built some amazing things. We were just way ahead of our time. Left, went to Forbes for a couple years, helped institute programmatic really sat at the forefront of partnering with SSPs and thinking about how things like deal IDs were going to become part of the day-to-day way that media was transacted, got into mobile, worked at Session M, which had a wonderful outcome recently, going acquired by MasterCard, then went to a little company called Ad Colony, which got swallowed up by Opera, helped to launch the global programmatic business at Opera, left Ad Colony, went back to Ad Colony. And then right after iOS 14 was announced last year, got a little worried said signal is going to be diminished, programmatic is going to be challenged, not really sure how the mobile app ecosystem is going to fare throughout all of this. And I started to evaluate all the identity providers in market. And the one that stood out for me was really Zeotap. The pitch was really interesting. It was unique. The origin of the company was different. It was also a company that was based in Berlin. And so if privacy by design is really important to how you approach data, and identity in this world, what better place to be And So ironically, I got a call from a, a longtime friend who's a VC who said he was about to be investing and would I be interested in talking. And I took a leap of faith and here I am. And so today I run global publishing, global platform partnerships, and I sit really if the company is the primarily the, the, the primary business for us is enterprise tech. And it's really a, a CIP, which is a CDP with an identity layer and enterprise data and modeling built on top of it, we are the intersection of martech and adtech, And so what I'm doing is I'm really helping to drive the ad tech component of our business.
1: Got it. Love that overview. You've been a lot of places, done a lot of things.
0: There's a lot there. It's tough to fit into two minutes. I apologize. Yeah, that was yeah, one long know, breath. I love it.
1: Okay. So talk us through, you said customer intelligence platform, a sort of CDP with an identity layer on top of it. I think part of the challenge for any buyer in MarTech AdTech Media is this sort of acronym soup. So what does all that mean? I mean, what's the use case that you're solving for? Who are the types of customers? Sure. Where does Zootap sort of differentiate itself, specifically in the region, the offering, all that kind of stuff?
0: Our business is distinctly European. And so the company was born in Berlin. We've got roughly 180 employees split between Europe and, and India. Ironically, I am one of a, like just a handful. We only have three employees here in the US. And so I'm leading global business unit from my Newark apartment most of the time. And for us, the CIP is really a cloud based SaaS platform that ingests, orchestrates, and manages first-party, second-party, and third-party data to create a unified customer platform. And so we're doing so to provide enterprise tech to Fortune 500 marketers to help them to run smarter businesses and really to take this fragmented profile of the consumer in the digital world and to unify that. And so when you take that and then you pend or you add the identity resolution component of what we do, and then you allow for enterprise data and modeling on top of that, it's a pretty advanced set of tools for anyone, whether it be an insurance provider, whether it be a tourism company, a hotel chain, there are a variety of different categories that may look to retailer, may look to you know utilize or partner with us. We are helping them To not just have better first-party data assets, but also to set those free in the wild, right? So how can that help to build a smarter, addressable business in a cookie-less world, which we're about to enter into?
1: Perfect transition into all all the sort of, some would say headwinds, others say tailwinds. Things like the party cookie deprecation. Obviously, you mentioned iOS 14. Point five, I guess, is what we're calling it now. It's no longer. <laughs> Obviously, you're in based in Europe, so you have GDPR. There's the dominance of walled gardens everywhere, different gardens, different places. But, I mean, in all of that, I mean, where does Tap fit? And how are you helping those, specifically those marketers, those advertisers, the brands, adjust all that?
0: This world isn't getting any easier, is it? No. <laughs> No, it's really not. And it's ironic because I remember going from broadcast into digital and thinking that having sold 15 and 30 second spots, like that was as easy as it came, right? Or whether it was selling a page in a magazine at Conde Nast and then entering into an ad network, I was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? How do you actually allocate like budget or decide where your ad is going to run across a thousand sites? Now all of a sudden you've got media. You've got data, you've got tech, you've got regulation, you've got operating systems, you really have a tangled web. And I think what's really interesting about that is where there's chaos, there's opportunity. And so when you think about some of the challenges that are prompting a lot of the change that is on the horizon, you've got the loss of consumer trust, right? I think we recognize that. You've got changes in privacy and regulation. And I think it's really important to create solutions that are compliant in a market that is only going to become tighter and more restricted if regulation, and I say if, but it's probably a when, regulation isn't just patchwork privacy where you've got GDPR, you've got CCPA, you've got 11 states, you're going to have a lot more complexity to have to solve for. And so I think really what we are focused on is taking that privacy by design, the ethos of the company, which is very European, was built to satisfy concepts like GDPR before GDPR was even a real thing. And take that privacy and IT security is really the backbone of the company and almost use that as the competitive advantage for our customer. And so the way that we look at things is really through like a very, very, very tight lens to ensure that everything that we do, whether it's through our data marketplace, whether it's through identity resolution or whether it's through the enterprise tech that we're providing to our clients is compliant first and foremost. I think that is the most important thing that we can do, which is almost like an extra layer of service. And then from there, we're building to where we believe the market is going and that's to create an ecosystem where we're giving, I don't want to say we're creating our own walled garden, but we're really creating this network effect, right? We're enabling the marketers who leverage our CDP technology, the ability to go out and actually use that data that they've gotten, that first party data across major media companies. And so how can they have business continuity in a world which is going to be completely redefined and enable them to have access going through any number of different DSPs, SSPs, or ad tech companies that sit in between the marketer and ultimately the consumer who's sitting on a media platform consuming content? And so long-winded answer, once again, of suggesting that we are really committed to supporting the open web, to supporting publishers who need really to rely on effective monetization to keep that content free-flowing to their consumers, and to marketers who are looking to, again, be able to leverage and and transact on the data sets that we've almost taken for granted over the years, but are now becoming opt-in rather than opt-out.
1: Absolutely. Love it. Okay, so let's transition more broadly into the whole ecosystem. So the whole shebang. We're talking about all these different things that are in flight. I guess you've been in space for a long time, 20 plus years. As you look out, maybe five years. Are we are we moving to a world where there's 25 walled gardens? Are we moving to a world where the open web comes back and wins and the walled gardens entirely go away? Are we moving to a world where, I don't know, direct mail gets more powerful with us all being at home more often? What's the prediction? <laughs>
0: five years is a really long time, right? I think five years ago, we were all like sitting on Vine and four squares. I think Lord only knows where we'll be five years from now, but I think there, there are a couple things. I think that identity is going to, for at least the short term, there's going to be a lot of testing. And I think the way that with cookie deprecation coming roughly 12 months from now and changes in how mobile is going to be targeted through strength of signal, I think what you're going to find is you're going to find this hierarchy, at least in the short term, where addressable media is going to be really... It's going to be a bit fragmented. And when I say fragmented, you're going to have universal identity or deterministic at the top, and there's going to be strength of signal but it may not be at the scale that we are all used to and accustomed to. And so there will be a premium there. And so publishers who can get users and create value because they've got loyal users who are coming back, they're coming to the URL and view that publisher's destination as a trusted site that they're getting content from, they'll win, right? Because there's a value exchange there. And so they'll be able to... Trade on really high resolution signal. So there's value to universal identity. Obviously, that's near and dear to my heart. It's what I'm thinking about all day, every day. But I'm also thinking a lot about context. And I'm thinking about kind of like this whole belief that for, I don't know, the first generation of media, context was the only way that it was sold. And so have we taken three steps forward over the past 20 years to then take two steps back? and bring back something that was pretty effective back in the day, right? I think that there was value to understanding that if you were watching a baseball game in the mid-80s, that you had a pretty good belief that you understood who that core audience was, who that user was, and so you probably saw a beer ad. And so I think you'll see this resurgence of context. I think you'll start to see technology that will support context. I think that the value of broadcast media will start to come back. I think that it's really a reach frequency business, right? And so if you can prove reach frequency, then that becomes more important. When it comes to walled gardens, I would love to sit here and say that the walls will get knocked down, but I don't believe that's the case. I think that it's funny when people ask me about Google or they ask me about Facebook or they ask me about Amazon's ad business, I always ask them the same thing, right? And I'll ask you this. Do you love to hate them or hate to love them? Right? Have they built brilliant businesses? And should we sit there and give credit where due? Or should we sit and you know say, hey, this is monopolistic behavior and this is problematic? And so I think that's very much the wild card in all of this, which is where does all that land? Time will tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think adding my own point of view, yeah. to me, the walled gardens have just built incredible businesses that the consumer just it's a utility for them in any of those three things if it's connecting to my friends if it's trying to get an answer to a question or if it's buying something and those three companies have done that far far better than anyone on earth could ever even try to which means they have a ton of attention and they have a ton of power
0: and they made it easy and that's the thing, right? I think that I talked about the complexities of buying and selling media, right? But whether you love them or you hate them, they've made it easier if you're a buyer or a seller to actually run your business. And so I would tip my cap, but I don't want to show off my shiny uh, bald head here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only the only other thing I would add on, on the walled gardens is I would say the where I am right now is I'm starting to notice lots of others doing really smart, innovative things to build their own walled gardens, which I think the walled garden concept, there's some criticism to that. And I think that criticism is fair, but there's a bunch of other companies and a bunch of other spaces that are starting to do things like that and make it easy, ultimately make it easy for the consumer to buy the, to watch the thing or pay attention to the thing and use the utility and the advertiser marketer
0: to spend money there. So let's turn the table for a second. Let me interview you. Anyone you want to point out there and highlight?
1: Absolutely not. Not on a roll. <laughs>
0: <dude>. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, you know, I figured I'd share the hot seat here a little bit. So. Yeah, no. Totally fair.
1: I think there have been a bunch, and I think there's going to continue to be more. I mean, the easy ones, okay, I'll say a couple. I think like somebody like Snapchat has done a really good job. They've figured Uh out a way to diversify their business a little bit while still having this incredible ad product that has an audience that is not small. If you are targeting that certain age group, that certain demographic, I mean, it's like a billion dollar a year business. Like they're doing pretty well. Yeah. And so I think there's going to be a bunch of these sort of longer tail walled gardens, like social media walled gardens, like Snap. And I think there's going to be a bunch of others that are going to emerge, both connected TV, television in general, all that
0: kind of stuff as well. I almost think the definition of a walled garden is going to change, right? And I think that it makes sense to call them walled gardens, but I think that ultimately, they're building moats, right? And it's how effectively can you build a moat around that business? And some are truly unbelievable. Some have reinvented themselves and redefined themselves. I think Snap is the perfect example there where Snap has come a long way. I'll just put it that way. Absolutely. And I give them a ton of credit and I'm really bullish on where they're going. I think it's really Absolutely.
1: interesting. All right. So looking at time here, I do want to wanna ask because you are constantly putting me to shame with your running times. So outside of this wild and crazy media, MarTech, AdTech, data, identity world, what are you spending your time on outside of your day job?
0: We're at this weird point in life now, right? Where I think like spring is here. I think we're starting to resume a little normalcy and i'm I'm really grateful for the past year and change to get to stay home and I just get married in January of last year. and so really appreciate my wife, who works in human resources at a holding company and doesn't have an easy job, and so it's given me visibility into a very different aspect of the business that I think I really didn't appreciate the way I probably should have and, and looked at HR the way I do today, which is as a tremendous partner and not just another business function. That said, I've got a seventeen year old dog who's living his best life and makes me laugh every day when I get to sit at home and he's like snoring through a call and I have to wake him up because you know the folks on the other side of the screen can hear him. And otherwise, just trying to catch some miles when I can, catch some live sports now that we're allowed back, and overall, just kind of stay healthy and stay smart. And so, looking forward to the world getting a little bit brighter in terms of the outlook and the opportunities that we have and hope to uh, be able to do more with more people as it's deemed safe and as starting to become more of a reality and not just a dream. So, it feels like we're almost there.
1: Absolutely. Love it. Okay. The last question is, where can the audience find
0: more about, about you, about Zeotap? Yeah, I think www.zeotap.com is our website. You know, Our identity product is called ID+. I can be found on Twitter and Instagram, MJ Barish on Twitter, Matt Barish on Instagram, and you can always find all of us on LinkedIn. So you know, please, if anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out. Happy to always chat.
1: Awesome. Matt Barish, thank you so much for taking the time. And audience, that is another episode of the Identity Revolution podcast. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.